I'm Quinn Murphy, and this is In My Chair. Well, there isn't a beauty enthusiast on the planet who doesn't know the name Makeup by Mario, a.k.a. Mario Dedevanovic. Mario Dedevanovic. <laughs> Undoubtedly. One of the most influential. Let's start over. Mario De Devanovic. Okay, I'm just going to start over. De Devanovic. Va ah. Okay. De Devanovic. So listen, listen to me. Listen to me say it. it's really easy. Dead Dead Ivanovic. Dead Ivanovic. Dead Ivanovic. Dead Ivanovic. Yes. Perfect. Okay. I'm dyslexic, so it's not that easy. Okay. Okay. Ready? Okay. There isn't a beauty enthusiast on the planet who doesn't know the name Makeup by Mario, a.k.a. Mario Dedivanovic. Undoubtedly one of the most influential makeup artists today, Mario has changed the industry with his revolutionary masterclasses all over the world, his online tutorials, 8.2 million Instagram followers. Oh my God. And now he has the launch of his namesake cosmetic brand, Makeup by Mario. Mario's celebrity clients include Ariana Grande, Chrissy Teigen, Demi Lovato, Kendall and Kylie Jenner, Jennifer Lopez, Mary J. Blige, and many more. Oh, and you know, of course, longtime client and muse Kim Kardashian. Mario's work has appeared on the cover of the pages of Vogue, Harper's Bazaar, LW, Interview, and Allure. And before launching his own brand, his coveted limited edition collaborations with Anastasia Beverly Hills and KKW Beauty have sold out worldwide. He's also worked with Laura Mercier and so many more. Mario was seen as a judge on Glam Masters and is credited for the makeup for Keeping Up with the Kardashians. I am humbled and grateful to welcome Mario in my chair. Hi, Mario. Hey, Quinn. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. How are you? I'm good. You're really good at this, by the way. Oh, God. I think it's just um, <laughs> fear. You know, the, the fear of reading as a dyslexic just puts me in the moment. No, um, you, have a good, you have a good voice for this. Oh, thank you. I wish I could sing. I'll tell you that. Um, so, Mario, what have you been up to? I mean... COVID. Um, How is what if what has COVID been like for you? You're in New York. Yes, I'm in New York. I live in New York. Um, it has been, you know. So the beginning of COVID was really tough. Like, like you know, obviously for everyone, um, just mentally and the fear. You know, there was a lot of fear involved, and I was at the same time, you know, literally getting ready to launch my brand. Um, so. You know, I feel honestly very, I was actually thinking about this this morning a lot. Um, I, you know, I feel sort of like, you know, blessed, obviously, for everything, you know, for the brand launch and for all the support that I've, that I've, that I've received. And, and also, you know, I don't know, I feel like, you know, I, I just feel, I just thank God really like every day that I, I had this um, to work on and to keep me busy and to force me to, to sort of uh, to stay busy and to create because, um, it was tough for me in the beginning. Uh, it was really, really tough for me, like mentally. You know what I mean? Um, Absolutely. I, wasn't I mean, you were in New York during the height of the pandemic. I mean, yes, I, you I was remember in New York. What was that like? 
Uh, it was scary, you know. Um, I live near like a hospital near near Presbyterian, so it was just day in and day out of ambulance sirens, and I was so scared. You know, it got really bad here to the point where like you couldn't even go to the store to buy something because even that was so scared. You couldn't order food because no one was delivering food, and so you know, I was literally like there were like there was a several week period where I was like rationing my food because I I couldn't go to the store and get food, and I couldn't order because everything was you know I couldn't order from Amazon or any of these places. Um, because the wait list was like weeks long. So, um, yeah, I definitely, it, it was, it was scary. It was really lonely. Um, and were you able you know, to see your family at all or anyone? No, um, my, my mom and dad, I remember on Easter Sunday, they drove over, um, with their masks on and they, they came to the front of my building and they dropped off a bunch of like food for Easter for me. Like, and, and that was like pretty much, that was pretty much it. Um, that was pretty much the extent of what, you know, how much I saw my family during that time. But yeah, it was really tough. But, you know, I had this, um, I had my brand launch that was slated to launch in October. And, and so, you know, I'm just, I'm just very thankful that I had that. It was really tough, obviously, and like a lot of obstacles to overcome and it affected lots of things in terms of manufacturing and, you know, you know, the staff and the offices and all this, all these things. It, it was a lot of stress and a lot of pressure. Um, but at the same were time, were you able like, to launch on time? Um, yeah, we were actually supposed to launch a little bit sooner, but everything got changed and moved. And so it landed on my, the new launch date landed on my birthday, like a month after it was actually intended to launch. Wow. Yeah. So has it, did COVID change your relationship to New York in any way? Mm, yeah, actually it did. Um, you know, a lot of people in New York kind of started to hate it and started to move out uh, or started to, to think about moving out. My sister did as well. Um, for me, I feel like it made me love New York more um, and, and really like made me feel that like this is my home forever. And I'm, and I'm, you know, I don't know. I felt a little weird about everyone leaving. I felt like people were abandoning New York, you know. Um, but no, I, I feel actually a closer connection um, to New York. I mean, I did have moments where I wished I had a house in the country. I wished I could have, you know, gone somewhere and sort of been around nature and, and had a little bit more space. Um, but no, I never, I never actually considered um, like leaving New York. I felt the same way, almost like um, it was like a vetting process because people always move to New York and leave. You know, you always have friends who come and you make friends and then they all move to LA or whatever. But there was a moment when things started to turn and I could, I felt like I could see the city coming back and I thought, Oh great. So everybody left is are people who are committed to being here. Yeah, for sure. I feel the same way. And so you're a New York native. Yes. Born and raised in the Bronx. You were born in the Bronx and raised in the Bronx. So what was that like? Um, you know, I mean, I don't know. It was all, it was all I knew. So um, you know, I, I grew up in very extremely humble beginnings. Um, I grew up in a little tiny basement apartment with four siblings, um, my parents and my dad was the super of the building. So we had a free apartment in the basement and, you know, but that was all I knew obviously at that time. So that was normal to me. Um, um, you know, but <clears throat> I don't know. I, I, it's hard for me to, I know now, I guess it's, it's yeah, go ahead. Was it a multicultural community? Was it very, was it a lot of Albanians and Montenegrins, or what was it? What was oh, that like? Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. So it was so diverse. Um, like my whole, you know, my elementary school from kindergarten up until high school was extremely diverse. I mean, if anything, um, I would say you know 
being like white, right, or European, I mean, there was very little white students in, in my class. It was Asians. It was lots of immigrant uh, children or, or children of immigrants. It was black. It was lots of Latinos, um, Indian, um, Middle Eastern. So extremely, extremely diverse. And that, that was like definitely like one of my favorite parts about um, about growing up in the Bronx and, and, and my school years in the Bronx. Did you appreciate it at the time? I did because I, I related, I guess, to a lot of um, the students in that way in that they, they were from similar backgrounds like me. You know, they weren't sort of they weren't, uh, you know, like typical white, I guess, Americans. Um, they didn't come from, you know, wealthy families. And so we all kind of related to each other in that sense. But and were you aware of the other end in Manhattan, the, you know, extreme wealth in that world? I was. I was aware of it. I was aware of it from television. Um, I was also aware of it because I had some cousins that lived in Manhattan and and I also loved, uh, you know, I also loved that side of it. You know, I knew that it was just not my life. And, and but I but when I was very young, I, you know, my mom used to clean apartments in Manhattan, for example. And so like one of my favorite things to do was to go to her um, to go to my mom, to go to, to go with her to clean those apartments because I was just obsessed with the lifestyle, I, you know, the interior design and the, you know, the beautiful apartments and the beautiful wallpapers. And so that stuff um, inspired me greatly. I didn't know at that age, obviously, when I was a kid, I didn't know what inspiration was. But I, I used to get like this physical, almost like this physical feeling. Um, and that and then another thing I used to love to do was when my I would make my dad or beg my dad to drive me on the weekends, like to go to Westchester to see the the gardens and the homes in Westchester, you know, in the wealthy homes and the, the beautiful sort of symmetrical gardens outside. And, and so that was another one of my favorite things to do as a child. And, and um, It's so beautiful there. We went um, to there's a dog beach in Larchmont that I had never been to until the pandemic. And it was like you just were driving out of town just to get away. Have you been to Larchmont? Um, yeah, I've been to Larchmont yeah, before. Was, that's yeah. what I'm picturing. It's so gorgeous. Like the, it looks like picturesque suburbs, you know. Yeah, um, that's 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 pretty much what it was like the places that I used to ask my dad to drive me, um, you know, the gardens and all that stuff just really inspired me. And so I would just like to look and, and essentially, I guess I was like dreaming as well that one day I would have that. Yeah, that's that's amazing. Did you so did you like school? Um, I was a super quiet kid, Quinn, um, Quinn, um, Quinn and yeah, I did like school. Um, I guess I did. Yeah, I did like school because I did really well in school. Um, I just I had a little bit of a tough time in school in that, um, you know, my whole childhood, I, I did sort of <clears throat> stay extremely quiet um, in hopes that no one would notice me and in hopes that um, no one would tease me. Maybe because I, I felt when I was younger that, you know, I got teased by, let's say, my siblings or my cousins and things like that um, for being, I guess, more feminine. Um, and so I <clears throat> I always tried to sort of just stay quiet and not be noticed um, in school. So I, I almost, to be honest with you, I, I, I forgot a lot of that until recently as I've sort of been like unlocking these memories because I kind of put them all to the side to, to block all those memories. And, and just recently, Quinn, at 38 years old, I really started to... I'm starting now to remember these things from my childhood and to allow myself to like take these blocks down and sort of face these issues that I have from childhood. That's incredible because I I do think that unless you're able to look at them, they don't really go away. They just kind of sit around somewhere in your psyche, right? Oh, absolutely. But you don't even, you're not even aware of it, but it has an effect on everything that you do every single day and every, every aspect of your life. And so I'm just now starting to learn this and starting to deal with it, I guess you could say. 
I, I think more than anybody in the industry, I think you and I have a similar kind of upbringing. Although my parents are from America, I grew up in Oakland, California, which was extremely diverse. Um, it, I, my schools were not a white majority. And um, I, I definitely, I knew it was great at the time, but I really appreciated it um, as an adult. And especially now with everything going on in the world and Black Lives Matter and thinking back that I actually did have a great education. Um, I went to public school in terms of, you know, African-American history and all of that, that I didn't even appreciate at the time. But looking back, there's something valuable to going to an inner city school. Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree. I mean, I I went always to public schools like um, my, my sister Marina and my brother Michael, they went to Catholic schools like for middle school and, and high school. But I didn't. I, I was in, I stayed in public school. And I'm really grateful for like my public school years. And I have to say, like, you know, what I mentioned earlier about me sort of trying to be invisible and staying quiet. That also, I think, was the reason why I did really well in school, um, because I, it sort of forced me to do really well in school because I I wasn't distracted. Um, you know, with all the other things being getting popular. In yeah. And we're getting in trouble. And then when I, when I moved, I, I moved to Milford, Connecticut, my parents decided, decided to move when I was 12 to Milford, Connecticut, um, for, for three years. That That's actually when I, I went there and everything changed because now I was in a, in a, in a mostly white sort of suburban neighborhood, um, and school. And I came in and I was the kid from the Bronx. And so immediately from, the, from day one, without even speaking to anyone, I was instantly like the cool kid because I was from the Bronx, from New York. And so I became popular. You had that there. street cred. Yeah. But it's so crazy though, because I, I, that's where I sort of began to not do well in school. And that was sort of, those were the years where I started to like experiment, whether it was like drinking or smoking cigarettes. And, you know, I was hanging around, I guess, with the more popular, you know, quote unquote, bad kids um, in those years. Whereas in the Bronx, you know, um, I was literally like an angel. That's really interesting. I wanted to add, follow up on, you said that you were made fun of by family members and things for, you know, your mannerisms or, uh, I think you said being effeminate. Do you ever remember trying to change that about yourself or trying to not let that out? Oh, my God. Like, of course, on my whole entire life. So, you know, I'm Albanian. So, you know, I have this, there's a whole cultural thing uh, when you come from from my country and, and you have Albanian immigrant parents like I do. Um you know, that culture is instilled in, in you, deep within you, because that was the culture I grew up um, knowing. And being. And so, yeah, macho culture. And so the, to be gay is like, it's just absolutely, first of all, unheard of. Like you just do not, you're just, it doesn't happen. You know what I mean? In our culture, especially the years that I was growing up. Um, and so I knew from an early age that I was, and I literally, you know, just, I had to hide it um, and try to hide it as much as I could. And that meant you know, trying to be invisible. That meant, you know, being careful of how I spoke and being careful of how I walked and being careful of how I dressed and how I did my hair and every single thing. And when you're, when you do that at such a young age, um, you know, it really, it really does have an effect on you. Um, how old were on. you when you first, when you first noticed that who you were as who you were in your organic state was not acceptable? Uh, I want to say that um, from when I can remember, I want to say like starting around five years old is when I remember starting, I started to get teased, like, because I would either I get caught like playing with a doll, like, 
you know, doing her hair or I would, you know, or I would get caught like wearing high heels, like my sister's or mom's high heels and, and walking around the basement. Right. And so like my cousins and stuff would tease me and my brother and sister would tease me and call me the F word. And, um, and so that's when it all started um, for me. You have to, and you and I are from the same generation that when I was growing up, even though it was San Francisco was on the other side of the bridge, Oakland was a completely different universe. We had 2,500 kids in my school. No one was out. There was no Ellen. Yeah. There was no Rosie. There were no role models. It really was like the last of the shitty generation to be gay. Yeah, 100%, 100%. I actually don't, I don't recall anyone from my, um, from my school or childhood being openly gay, like literally anyone. So when did it come to a head for you? Like in what sense? And when, when did you go, uh, I'll put it this way. I, I lived years in denial. I knew I, what I was, but it wasn't on the surface level. And then I got, you got to a point where I said, oh, I am gay and dealt with that. When did you actually um, uh, face it or have a realization about it? Well, I, I knew, like, for a fact, fact, like 100%, I knew, um, I want to say when I was in seventh grade or when I was probably 11 or 12 is when I knew. Um, and I just, I just hit it. I kept it within me, um, uh, until I was literally until I was 17 and, and I, I went to Manhattan to find a, a job in retail after I finished high school. And, um, that was like the very beginnings of when I, after I got that job at Sephora, um, when I started to feel a little bit more comfortable and then I started to almost live a sort of double lives. Right. And so I, when I went home, I was completely like closeted, quiet, um, locked myself in the room, not, not allow myself to get close to anyone in the family during those years. But then I had this other life as soon as I left the home and I went to Manhattan, um, I had this other life and a whole new group of friends and, um, I would go out at night and, you know, to gay clubs and gay, gay bars and things like that. So that's sort of how I dealt with it. Um, you know, it was always a struggle, but it was always kind of almost like this double life. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't think there's anyone, I said this earlier and I'm sorry, but I feel like I have a, such a similar, um, story to you yeah. that I, you know, for me, it was San Francisco, like shaking, driving there in the car, but it was so thrilling and also felt such a deep shame about it yeah. because you couldn't oh, share it yeah. with anyone. Yeah. That's a good word. Um, shame, definitely a good word. I, I feel like I, I lived, I feel like I was shameful always since I was a little kid and, um, really honestly, because of my culture, right? Cause if it wasn't from the culture thing, I, I would have been okay. Um, but because of the culture thing, I, I sort of lived in shame. I want to say up until last year when I publicly came out, honestly, until last year, yeah, I didn't know that it, you, um, came out last year. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. Um, yeah, I did. When I, when I got that award at the, um, at the American Influencer Awards. Um, that morning when I woke up, I, I knew I had to write a speech. And I don't know what the hell hit me or what the hell happened or how I got the courage to do it. But I, I woke up that morning and I started writing and, and I came out in that speech. Um, I think it had to do with like, you know, I, I was I was working on the brand and I knew that I had this brand coming. And I think YouTube actually um, is random, but like I wanted to do a YouTube channel and I was going to do a deal with YouTube to launch my YouTube channel. And I was struggling with, um, you know, the idea of that, like the Albanian community would, you know, because once you go on YouTube, there's 
it's different, right? It's not like when you're just a makeup artist and you just have your normal social media, but once you're on YouTube and you have a YouTube channel, um, that's when people sort of begin to pry and to ask questions. And so because I had never been able to be open uh, sexually or to announce ever publicly or, um, you know, there was like this rule, even whenever I did, you know, interviews and things like that, it's like no one could ask me about my personal life. And so I had to hide that always because of my culture and I didn't want to shame my family and I didn't want to upset my family. Um, so... So I struggled with that literally um, up until I came out um, last year. And uh, and so YouTube was a part of the whole YouTube thing was a part of why I, I think also got the courage to finally come out because I I, I was struggling with the YouTube thing um, because I was still in the closet. I'm like, how the hell am I going to go on YouTube and, and show people myself and my personality and how am I going to launch my brand and not and still be like hiding from, from the public and still not be able to be comfortable to say out loud that I'm gay or to let people know that I'm gay. You know what I mean? You must have so, dreaded all of those moments, every interview and every public thing. I mean, yeah, like I, I you know. Actually, another thing that happened was like when um, this this uh, this writer and journalist Rachel Syme, she from the New Yorker, she started to you know she started basically following me around essentially for a year to do this feature on me for the New Yorker, and she knew already because my my PR guy told her that you know just no personal questions um, about his personal sort of life or sexuality or anything like that, and. And I, and I hated it so much because I would be showing her everything about my life. She came into my home and to my family's home. She came to my master classes. She came on set and spoke to several different clients and like literally spent hours and hours, days and days over the course of a year with me. And I felt so ashamed that, and, and embarrassed for myself that like how stupid like that I can't be comfortable enough with her. She's doing a feature on me yet. I'm like hiding this aspect of my life from her which I'm sure she already knew, right? But I just couldn't talk about it. So there was an awkwardness to, to it. And and so it was during that process of, of doing that, that feature for The New Yorker that I also came out. So it was like a culmination of that, the brand, and then the YouTube thing and all of that kind of together did you, gave me the, yeah. Did you push people away? Because I remember pushing people away because I didn't want to be exposed. Oh my God, of course. I, I, I've done that all my life. Um, absolutely. Um, pushing people away or, or even sabotaging things up for, in your life, you know, um, all of that ha happened as a result of that. But yeah, I, like, for example, all my high school friends, I remember I literally just pushed them all away right? as soon as I got the job at Sephora and I started this whole other double life. I completely just like neglected and pushed away all of the, the people in my past life, like from school and from the friends that I had. And yeah, it was like a big struggle, a big mess to be honest with you. Because the people you've known the longest or family members are way harder than the people who you haven't known very long to come out to, to talk about your sexuality with, I find. Yeah. Like with my family, I would, I would, during that time, like from the age of 17, 18, 19, 20, like I, I was not close to my family. I literally would lock myself in the room and, and just try not to talk to them at all. Um, because I had this other life that I was, I guess it was cause I was like ashamed of it. You know, while I was, I, I had that other life, I was so happy about it that I finally had friends like me and new people like me. And I felt comfortable to be myself for the first time in my life. But at the same time, I, I, I was shameful of it. I felt ashamed because of this my culture and because of my family and like what if they knew and what if they saw me and what you know what i mean yeah i do absolutely have you been surprised by anyone's reaction or pe a people's reaction to you coming out um yeah so listen uh, i think yeah i mean in general like when i had that public coming out last year um i because i i made that decision literally on the day of um 
you know, on the day of that, of me receiving that award, I, I didn't know, I didn't even have time to think of what the reaction would be, but what happened afterwards was incredible. And, and still to this day is happening a year later. Um, the amount of people that have been writing me since, since that day, um, the amount of people that have told me that they have now come out to their families uh, after that, because this is an issue all around the world for, especially for those who come from cultures like Middle Eastern cultures and Albanian cultures and Asian cultures, you know, where, you know, people literally, gay guys and gay women, they literally get married and have kids because that's what they have to do. Um, and so they suffer their entire lives. Children as well suffer their entire lives um, because I had that pressure of, as a child, like uh, as the youngest son uh, um, of four kids, like in my culture, the youngest son is expected to get married uh, to a wife and to live with his parents and his wife for the rest of his parents' life. And so I had all these added pressures on. And so I would think that I had to, you know, like growing up in my teen years, I'm like, damn it, I have to get married. Like I have to ruin a woman's life. Like, so I struggled greatly with this. And after that speech of me publicly coming out, like I even heard of so many uh, different instances of Albanian boys and men, full grown men who had the courage after that speech to come out to their families and relieve themselves a little. Of you, all this that suffering. must feel incredible. Yeah, man, that was like, that was really, really great. I'm just getting chills every time I think about it. But yeah, and it's still, uh, it still has that effect. I still get DMs like every day and emails and stuff from people. Were there, did you have any secondary effects from um, not coming out on your life? Yeah, there's, I'm still, I'm still figuring them out, to be honest with you. Um, I think for me, the first step was that coming out. And once I made that first step, like I thought that, oh, everything's going to be 100% normal and fine now and, and life is going to move on in the way that it should. But no, that was just like the first baby step. And so now it's like, you know, I have to sort of face the, the effects that all of that had on me for my entire life. Um, if that makes sense. To this day, I still have physically and emotional. Um, I mean, trauma sounds very dramatic, but uh things that I'm still working out. Cause I, I, I think when you grow up gay and it's completely unacceptable, I always had a feel and not from my, my immediate family, more from the people, you know, school and society that um, you're always scared of being found out and exposed. And I still deal with that today. You know, it's not like it just goes away. No, it doesn't go away. And then, and then you have to sort of like face it and work on it and deal with it and be aware of it. You know what I mean? It's, it's a whole process. I feel like I've, I've just went to a therapy session, Quinn, you know, I never, um, like, it's just weird for me even that I'm so openly talking about this subject because it's, I'm not, not used to it. it I just began to become, you know, comfortable and used to it. Um, I almost texted you before we started and said, are you out? Cause I didn't know. <laughs> And then I thought, you know what? I'm not going to ask him that because I'm not going to ask you about that unless you bring it up. So I was like, we'll see where it goes. And then when you brought it up, I was like, oh, okay, we're going there. <laughs> um, we, we went there. We went there. So wait, how did your mom end up and your family end up uh, taking the news? And then we can uh, and then we can move on. Yeah. So um, I think. I think my family, like my sibling and stuff always knew, right, um, in the back of their minds. Um, my mom was just, uh, because I had a conversation with her after, I mean, right before I did the coming out uh, speech at the award show, and because she was home in New York, and she was over my house that day, the, the day before I was going to leave to go to LA, and 
I, I had the courage to break down to her that day and tell her everything about my childhood, right? Like about what I went through in my childhood and how I suppressed myself and my feelings and all that stuff and how, you know, uh, the effect that, that had on me. And so she kind of gave me the okay um, to, to be myself and to never again feel like I have to hide from anyone. And so once she did that, that was like a big breakthrough for me because we just never, we never spoke about it. You know what I mean? It's like in our culture, we don't talk about those kinds of things, you know? Um, and so, you know, we still kind of don't talk about that stuff, even after the coming out. Um, I think we've maybe talked like the day after for like two minutes about it and really never since then. Well, in all fairness, it's always awkward to talk to your um, parents about sex, anything sexuality. Like I've been out for a long time, but I was like, I and I came out to my parents, but I'm like, I'm not telling my grandparents. You have to tell them for me. It's just so awkward. You know, yeah. for anyone, you're like, you know, let's sit down and talk about my sexuality. Um, well, that's great. Have you gotten any closer to your mom as a result? Yeah, I've always been super, super close to my mom, um, regardless of, of that. You know what I mean? But yeah, yeah always, um, always have been so close to my mom since I was a little baby. I had an extreme, you know, extreme, um, extremely close relationship to her. Like a good gay son. Yep. <laughs> um, so... So you came to New York and you worked at Sephora and then you just became this internationally known makeup artist. No, what happened <laughs> in between? I, I'd like to know what your first jobs were like, if you assisted and, and what was that kind of uh, process like in, in your journey? Yeah, of course. So no, it didn't just happen like that. I, I started at Sephora. I fell in love with um with with makeup artistry in the world of makeup artistry. I became borderline obsessed um at that age of seventeen. And so like I remember I would go to the library every day. Or not every day, but like whenever I had a time because I didn't have a I didn't have internet or a computer or anything like that. And so I would go to the library and I'd research and I would like I would try to hoard magazines and I would do anything I could to just immerse myself into that world. And I started learning how to do it in the store at Sephora. They would give me gratis, right? At that time, 20 years ago, you would get gratis. But because I was technically a fragrance consultant and not a makeup artist, um, I would sort of trade in the fragrance for, for makeup and, and brushes. And <clears throat> and then I started to trade with coworkers little, or trade it at Sephora. No, like at Sephora, like instead of, so I would uh -huh. ask my manager, like, Hey, I know like I'm, I'm allowed to get a fragrance, but like, can I please get, you know, these brushes instead or these, these, these makeup, this makeup. And so I would, you know, sneak those in the house and I would put them into a shoe box under my bed or in the closet. And, um, and I started building my kit and, um, I started doing makeup at Sephora there. And then I also started to, um, I got my first booking. I remember it was, um, it was these two. They were there were two cabaret singers in New York, and they were doing this little cabaret show in Times Square. And I never forget they, I was doing their makeup in front of a gondola in Sephora. Like I did their eyes quickly using like Urban Decay eyeshadow, and and they asked me if I would if they could hire me to do their makeup for their show like on the following Friday. Or I forgot when it was, but I was like. I immediately said yes. Like I was so happy because I felt at that moment I was like, like this is it. I am official now. I can officially say I'm a makeup artist because I'm getting paid to do it now. So I took my little shoebox um, with my makeup in it, and I went and I did their makeup for twenty five dollars total, um, both of them. And, um, and then how that long was did it, it take like, you to do it? Oh my god! So that makeup didn't take me that long to do. It was the first makeup I ever did in Sephora that took me. It took me three hours to do my so my literal first makeup I ever did was in store. Uh, it was in the evening time in the winter. Um, I did this lovely lady. I, I I could see the look I did in my like. It's very clear and vivid in my mind. Um, 
and I did her makeup and it was beautiful, but it took me like three hours. And my manager, she said, Mario, the makeup was really beautiful and the client loved it, but you, you took way too long. Like you cannot take that long to do a makeup. (laughs) Yeah. But are you you faster now? (laughs) Yes, I am. But if you give me three hours, like I am taking the full three hours. I, I love to take long doing makeup. Um, if I have, if I have the opportunity, you know, that's the challenge, right? Is getting enough time. Yep. Yeah, but you know, if I only have a little bit of time, I do it. I get it done. You know. Okay. So where did you go after you 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 aced the makeup? You had your first job. Were you living in New York? Yeah, I was living in New York. I was still living in the Bronx. Um, then I remember I got I got recruited um, by Lorac Cosmetics by Carol Shaw, and and so I became her regional makeup artist in in New York. And so I traveled to all the different Sephora's and sort of sell the makeup at at the Lorac gondola within all the different Sephora's. And then I also started to do testing. Um, so I started to like meet photographers and do tests for my portfolio to build my portfolio. And oh my God, I have the images of, of the first <laughs> the first test I oh. ever did. It's so crazy when I look at that stuff. But um, Isn't it like I you met- do 10 tests to get one good one? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, for sure at that time. <laughs> but I, I actually yeah. got lucky. I got lucky at that time because I... I did this model, right? It was, I think, yeah, this was the the model. I did, I did this model. It was the first. It was the first test, like literal test, I ever did. And I met the photographer at this bar at night. And she's like, "Oh, I'm a photographer. You should come over to my house, and I'll get one of my model friends." And I was like, "Okay." So I did that, and the model happened to know this um, this photographer named Fadil Barisha. He's an Albanian photographer, like Albanian, like myself, and. And she's like, you know, I know this guy Fadil, and he's a celebrity photographer, and and you know, he likes to help out the Albanian community, and I think that you should meet him. And I was like, oh my god, of course! And so she literally made the connection. So she called Fadil, and she's like, there's this, you know, 17 year old kid who was really talented, and I think that you should meet him. He's a makeup artist. And so Fadil said, of course, bring him in. And so I went in, and I had my portfolio consisted of the two or three images that I had from that shoot I did with her. And they were literally four by sevens. Like from, I went and got them developed at the pharmacy and I walked in with my little four by seven uh, pictures uh, to, and he kind of just like looked at me and like, you know, laughed in uh, endearing sort of like smirk or laugh. And, and I, he took me in and at that time, like, I mean, his studio was so big and grand to me and he had makeup artists working there and they were doing models and hairstylists and blow dryers and everything. And he he took me in under his wing and he gave me the opportunity to to first uh, assist this other make artist that he worked with uh, Isabel Perez who's still uh, one of my one of my all-time best friends um, and she was the first makeup artist I ever assisted and a lot of the stuff I actually still do to this day and know is because of her um, wow. and so I learned a lot from her and also from working with him because then I started he would then hire me and I would I would sort of go in and and he would do these models you know every day and, and shooting these models and so I learned how to work quickly with him and I learned how to do that sort of glam makeup that I guess I'm known for today um in his studio because that was were the you com- makeup he, he huh were you confident no i struggled with that like you know i was young I, I, I was 17 at that time but i probably looked like i was 15 you know what i mean and and i was also very serious uh like i didn't laugh much i was like very serious always um but i i i did a good job you know what i mean um i wasn't no i don't think i was very confident but i was confident enough to like get me through um okay. And, and hopefully that no one noticed that I, maybe I wasn't, you know what I mean? But like the more that I learned, the more confident I was, um, you know, each day that I learned more and every job that, that I took after that, you know, I got more and more confident. And so I did that for a little bit. 
And then I started to, you know, I would set these goals. So like my next goal after that was like, okay, I want to now assist like big fashion makeup artists. And so I would make the rounds to all the agencies once Fadil helped me build more of a legitimate actual portfolio with like, you know, larger images and, and models and things like that. And then I would go to all of the agencies, Jed Root and Art and Commerce and all the, you know, the big fashion agencies. And I would try to to book a gig, like to get on someone's team for, you know, in the fashion world. And who was your number first, one that you, do you remember who you, whose team you wanted to be on? Yeah, I wanted, I remember going to Jed Root several times to try to get on like Dick Page's team. Um, <clears throat> there was so many of them at that time, like all of the artists that art and commerce at that time, you know, I'm talking the early 2000s, like 2002, three, four. Um, <clears throat> and then <clears throat> I remember I did some, not, not so much the bigger, bigger artists, but I remember getting on a couple of like fashion week teams of, of some makeup artists, but not like really big ones. And then I remember my first big one was um, through Kabuki. So I, I had emailed the agent of Kabuki. His name is Chuck. Um, and <clears throat> Chuck called me back one day. I never forget. I was in Queens with my friend Raphael in i don't know we were like in, a, in some store and i just remember getting a phone call hi it's chuck kabuki's agent and we wanted to know if you're available tomorrow to assist him on italian vogue and like my heart started racing and i started panicking i was like oh my i said yes of course like i probably had work the next day and i just canceled it <laughs> um and so he was my first big fashion make parts prior to him that I, I assisted billy b which i loved because he of was a viral of mine um and and I learned so much from Billy too. Like so, that was like such a dream for me, like a dream come true. Um, and so none of it came from actual agencies that I that I contacted or went to meet with. And would, you know, so back then you would drop off your book, like on a Friday, and then like you would, there was hundreds of books like in the corner of, of assistants, and then you would come back to pick it up like a week later or whatever. But they would never call you. For so, people who don't know, it's like a big physical portfolio, and it usually has your name etched out on the front, and it's got these big pages. And you would have to send them to people like in a carrier or in the mail. And then they'd look at your book and then they'd send them back or drop them off at an agency. Do you feel like you learned a lot during that time? Oh my God, of course, Quinn. I learned, I mean, I I credit everything to those early years, um, to the hustle and and to all the people that I assisted and and to the practice, right? Because like I literally, like when I look back at my, I have some old calendars of mine from those days and it's like i there wasn't a day that i didn't do something like i was hustling working for free doing any freaking thing that you could imagine um just to constantly be out there like because i i loved it i loved being a makeup artist i wanted so badly to be you know to be successful and to grow um and so you know i i learned everything from those days you know and um you know my year my time with kabuki was incredible with billy b with isabel like anybody that i worked with um and then when i was 21 i think i got my first agent and i still assisted even even when i had my 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 agency that was representing me back then um and i did that always and i usually did most of it for free like i always assisted for free um, i know nowadays weird. They, they'd be writing about you on websites that you're taking advantage of your um you know assistance i assisted for free at, at a certain point more than i got paid oh that absolutely but the, it's back different back now then. though like yeah. i would never it's almost weird like i would never not pay someone now like that's just weird to me but back then it was kind of like you just didn't you know what i mean like it was just like an honor for me to be on set are you kidding me it was like going to college you know yeah yeah, yeah. it really it I, literally was i always 
I always really thought this isn't going to last forever. And once you stop assisting, you can't go back. So it it, it is a very special time to yeah. op- open your eyes and kind of learn as much as you can from everybody. Because everyone has a different technique and there's no one way, right? Absolutely. And, and yeah, I'm just so freaking grateful for those years because also those were the years when I – I honed in on what it was that I, I decided in those years, like what it was that I wanted to do and what I felt that I excelled at. And so like after working in the fashion world, like as an assistant um, with Kabuki, like we used to, you know, it was every day. It was like a different either Italian Vogue or like these huge, you know, fashion campaigns and then these massive photographers. And it was also at that time, like even though I loved it so much and I learned so much and I loved Kabuki so much, like it, it was at that time when I made a very conscious decision that this is not what I want to do. This is not what I feel I, I can excel at. And and I was realistic about it at that time. And I was like, I want to go into the, the world of celebrity makeup, more commercial. You know, I don't want to try to, to be someone in this fashion world because I, I just felt and, and almost knew innately in my heart that I never had a chance of making it in that world. Um, and so that sort of helped me to guide me into into the direction that I wound up going. In. So what did you how did you get um, into the celebrity world so through this agent i was with a certain agent um i forget what the years were um but i remember i started to do it first started with um so oh actually it was because of the fadil barisha that photographers and were in assisting um assisting isabel and then billy b like that's where i felt i excelled the best like that was the makeup that inspired me most and that's the makeup that i could do really well myself and and so i started you know at that time in new york i started working on like some socialites in new york um still having like my my weekend you know retail jobs and at one point working in, you know for fox news doing the you know makeup for the anchors anything i could do to just have steady income so that i could continue to work on my career and um it started off with like you know little celebrities here and there i think one of my first was like probably the first first was like miss universe uh, probably in 2000 early 2000s and then amazing yeah uh, and then like you know that was through fadil i remember and then um gina gershon she was another one of my first celebrities mm-hmm. natasha beddingfield was another one of my first um so in those me, years. this is a jump ahead but being so successful now is it is it so much more fun now that your makeup by mario and such a big makeup artist that can basically do whatever you want? Or was it just as fun being an assistant and working retail and, and doing that route? Not that Uh, you would want to do that right now, but just in terms of, of the gratification, I would say I'm asking. I feel like they're both fun. Like they're both very different, but like I, there was something less serious about the other stuff. Um, you know, like less responsibility, less pressure. Um, It was less taxing on my body and mind. You know what I mean? Like with the traveling and stuff, like the travel and all the stuff like of the past, you know, five, 10 years, like there was definitely, there's an added pressure and added um, responsibility and heaviness to it all, you know? Um, Money. When money money. gets involved, it it takes a lot of the joy out of certain things, I think. You know, I have to say that's 100% true. Yeah. Like, I remember, like, at the, you know, before COVID, you know, in 2018, 19, like, I was, you know, I was doing really incredibly well. And it got to the point, though, where, like, you know, I would get an opportunity, like, to do a fashion editorial or beauty editorial. And it was like, huh? Like, no, I'm not, I can't do that. Like, because it's like every day was something big. Every day was something, you know, whether it's like a brand campaign or um, a masterclass or, you know, 
all these things. So it, yeah, always, it, it, it reminds me of kids who grew up with extreme wealth and then they get a job at like after school making $24,000 a year. And I'm like, well, how can you do that when everything else, the, all the other money comes to you so easily? You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, where is that, that level of inspiration? A hundred percent. Yeah. I a hundred percent agree with that. I think that's, that's totally true. So did you move to LA? I did. I moved to LA um, for three years and I moved back to New York. I think it's like eight years ago, seven or eight years ago. Did um, you learn to drive? I never learned how to drive. No, no I love that. But people from New York moved to LA and they just like, then it was before Uber, I think. So and it was just, before Uber. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> did you yeah. like it? Um, you know, it wasn't for me to live. I love LA. I like to go there and visit, but to live, um, I still can't quite explain what it is, but I, there's something there that's not for me to live. Um, it was incredibly, to be honest with you, it, it was like the loneliest time of my life mm. living in LA. Yeah. I feel that I feel, I feel like, uh, coming from New York where your family is and where you've kind of grown up with people and have such roots to go to LA and, you know, change your life like that would, would probably feel quite lonely. Yeah. I lonely. Yeah. It's like, a, it was like a lonely lost time in my, in my life when I think back to it. Uh-huh. And so when did you, when, what was the moment where you, you felt like you had made it to the next plat, the next level or, made it do you remember feeling that way i always struggle with this question um there were things that happened certain jobs or, or, or opportunities that happened but at the time i had absolutely zero clue and no idea that that they would be you know that they would do anything for me but those were like the times that had a big effect uh, a big effect on my career so for example like you know when kim asked me in 2009 i think it was to 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 film this YouTube this tutorial right like I didn't even know what the hell a tutorial was at that time so she's like oh can we please do this tutorial um you know we could just film it where you're teaching how to do the look that we did for you know the Vegas mm -hmm. magazine cover that we just recently did and I remember like on the morning of I almost canceled it because I was just like oh like I'm not in the mood I wasn't feeling good and my friend who was with me was like no no you have to do it you you committed to it so like I did it right and so I had no idea what the hell I was doing or what the meaning of this was or why we were doing it but you know a few days later that that video went onto YouTube and so that was the beginning of like this I guess sort of you know, where, where, where Kim's fans like around the world, like started to follow me and started to reach out to me, um, you know, because I inspire them and because I taught them and because, so that had such a big impact on sort of the trajectory of the next 10 years after that, that was like the very beginning of it. Meanwhile, but at the time I had no idea. So it's not like I were ever you her number one makeup artist when you, you were, you were working with her a lot when you made that video. Yeah, like that was the beginning. I started with her in 2008 or nine, I think, eight. Um, so yeah, um, yeah, for sure. And I lived in New York at that time. And then I, you know, she started getting really busy because I met her when it was season two, I believe, of her show. So she wasn't like really that that famous yet. Um, and I didn't know the first time I worked with her, I met her on, on the set of a magazine cover. I didn't know who she was really. I just know that she had a reality show and I knew her name because of the E! channel. I remember seeing her on the E! channel. Um, but then, you know, she, she really started to kick off, like her career started to blow up little by little and fast. Um, and could so you feel you know, that, that, could you feel that momentum happening? 
Oh yeah, hundred percent. Like in the very beginning, I didn't so much, but yeah, you, there's no way you can't. You know, like so I did started to feel, and I remember even certain instances where, you know, these vivid like instances where I would look at her, whether it was on a shoot or something, and then like I would literally see. I don't know if this has ever happened to you with one of your celebrity clients, but like. I would see the star power, like it would literally just be radiating from them and you would see something powerful in them. Like, you know what I mean? And with her, like with her, she has that, she really has that in person, like that energy. Um, and, um, and so, yeah, I felt that for sure. And and then I want to say like around 2000 and around 2015, um, 2015, 16, I think 15 was when, everything really then started to change when it was the, the contour craze thing started happening. And then I started to, I started to get like all of these brand deals and just insane things that I've never seen before in my life, like types of offers and things like on, for social media regarding contour and these types of things that like really then changed my life. And, Did you know, Instagram and, play a big role in that moment? Oh my God. Changed everything for me. Yeah. I mean, I remember, um, if I'm going to be like completely honest with you, like I remember in 2015, like, uh, I would, I was with the wall group at that time. Um, and my agent called me and was like, okay, so, you know, this brand from the UK wants, uh, wants to pay you $40,000 for, um, for one post on Instagram showing you, showing you doing a contour. And I Hold was on. Like, what? I have to go to the, and throw up in the other room. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm telling what? you like, and I, it's I amazing. couldn't believe I couldn't believe, right? And this is 2015, right? And I had at the time, I think, um, I don't know, I had like 500 or 600,000 followers at that time. Um, and then this was also the time, everything started happening during that time. And so that's when I got like my Anastasia Beverly Hills contract. And then I got the palette right after that contract. And so that's when everything started like, you know, this domino effect. It was like just every day, boom, boom, boom. And then the more that my social media growed, grew, um, it just had an effect. Everything sort of had an effect and it was all around that time. Um, but you know, Kim absolutely hundred percent, um, is a, a huge, huge, huge reason for all of that. That's incredible. But, and also to your credit, you saw this thing happening because you could have just been a session makeup artist. If you hadn't taken advantage of it, you had the kind of, um, instinct or wisdom to step back and go, okay, how can I, use this so that you, you, you elevated yourself. You got you, as she grew, you grew with her instead of just being, you know, no, I don't want to say just being, but you know, you could have just been a hired makeup daily makeup artist. Oh, absolutely. How did you, I I, how did you know how to you how to, how to channel that into creating something bigger for yourself? I think innately, I'm just a, I think I'm a business minded person. I'm, I'm a businessman for sure. Um, and so, you know, that part, I feel like just came naturally to me, you know, with the masterclass and with the brand deals and with, you know, transitioning from, you know, an agency to management, right? Um, so those things are all sort of numbers related. And so I, I, I just innately have that, uh, that mindset. Um, and so, you know, that part for me, um, you know, I don't know everything about, about that side, but that part for me came quite naturally, right? You, tra- so you trust see- your instincts. Yeah. And I go off of my, in my gut instincts more than anything. That's how I, that's how I sort of base a lot of my decision-making is, is, is through the feelings in my gut. And what do they usually work? Yeah. Sometimes they, sometimes it's confusing if you don't know how to tap into it well, right? Like it's hard sometimes and confusing sometimes because you are unsure at times that like, wait, I'm not sure. Like is, 
like, do I do this? I don't know how I feel about this. And, and, you know, but there's always like a moment where what I say, like, and I tell my students this a lot, um, when I talk about this with them is that it's that initial first feeling. The other stuff that comes after that is sort of the stuff that makes it feel cloudy or confused, you know, but Mm. it's that initial gut feeling that is the right one. That tells you, yes, like if it's right or not. That tells you if it's right or not. Yep. I'm going to steal that Mario. I like that a lot. Yeah, it's true. So, what what is it? I'm not going to move on because from this for a second. Because what is it about? What did you bring inherently to your profession that you're not Mario still working at Sephora or you know you're? What is what skills did you have or who? What is it about you that that you were able to utilize and get to I where think, you are? I think I think that I, I think there's a lot of different factors. I think it, it, timing was one thing. Um, I think that thing that I did with, with Kim, where that video I did where I was teaching. So at that time, YouTube was not popular. Uh, beauty YouTubers were essentially non-existent. Um, that video and, and everything that resulted from that video was like a trickle down effect. And then I started to, from there, I started to get bombarded with like emails and, and messages on like Facebook and all, you know, social media was just starting and, and Twitter was just starting. And so then that that thing had an effect on everything that I did after that. And so that was when I literally began the masterclass like 11 years ago was like literally from that, because that was Was my opportunity to, you know, huh? Was that your idea to do the masterclass? Yeah. So people would write to me and email me. And I, and I realized that at that time, I realized that like these people lived in random cities and towns around the world and they'd never have an opportunity to assist artists the way I did in New York or the way people in LA or Paris or London do. And so that's when I got the idea, like, why don't I do like a, a masterclass? And at that time I called it a workshop um, and it was small. My first one had like um, 15 students in it. And so I built, I did that for um, on my own. I, I set it up on my own. And then also, you know, for, I want to say two, three, four years, probably I did it on my own. And then, you know, my sister they, sort of. Were they in after. person? They, yeah, you, it was they in, were person. in person. Okay. I've never done a, a digital masterclass ever. Um, I might do one now in the new year, but I've never actually done a digital masterclass. But the masterclasses you do with the audience, aren't those also available digitally or or no? No, they're not. No, I've they're never up. like, no. In the beginning, in the beginning, I've been very protective over the masterclass. Like in the beginning years, I've never even allowed a camera in there. No press, no cameras, no videographers, nothing. It was only um, when my sister joined and, and began to help me in organizing the masterclass is when it began to grow because we would, you know, I would get larger venues, right? Because in the earlier days, I would just get a smaller venue and then it would sell out. And then, you know, I would, that was it. I would keep it really small because I was doing it myself. And then my sister came along and that's when it started to grow. And then she eventually convinced me to allow like either press to come in or she allowed, convinced me to allow a videographer to come in and so that we could promote it on, on social media. And then the one time I did that and I saw the effect of that. Um, and then I was like, okay, well, let's bring in the videographers and let's shoot it and let's do a promo video. And, and I started to build the team and build the business in that way. Right. You didn't start off where you are now. It was like you built it as you. No, no. I started out like, you know, 15 students was my first class. And, you know, I have been blessed to like, to do them all over the world. And, and um, like the one I did in Albania was 2,200 students. Um, so yeah, it was a slow and steady uh, rise in that, in that area. What is that moment like when you, everybody's waiting for you to come out? You're like a rock, makeup rock star and you're about to walk on stage. What's, what does that feel like? 
um, I don't know, there's an adrenaline, I don't even know how to put it into words, but um, it's a it's it's a beautiful feeling, you know, uh, there's an adrenaline, that adrenaline, that energy is like, it fills me. Um, Yet you have just, a steady it, hand. Yeah, you have a steady hand, but also when I'm working, so people don't realize this, so when I'm working, I'm in the corner, they can't see me, I'm in the corner, um, I'll look behind the curtain, right? They can only see my hand when I'm working. So I feel like wrapped in my private, in my little dark cocoon in the corner, right? Um, and it's only when I walk out when they see me or when I step out during my demo to talk to them and stuff like that. But um, it's an incredible feeling. Um, I remember that Albania one, you know, the one that had all those students in it, like that one I almost fell because I remember my knees shaking and I just started bawling like a second I walked onto the stage because I that amount of energy was just beyond, you know, I, I I couldn't handle it almost. It was it was intense for me, um, but obviously beautiful. You know? so what do you tell yourself when you're in a situation like that and you have to work? <clears throat> what do I tell myself? How do you how do you focus your energy? Because ultimately, if you're having this overwhelming feeling, but then you well, have that, that's just in that moment, like when I walk out, and then as soon you know, I I talk to them then for about ten minutes. I go on stage, I pace back and forth, I talk to them, um, give them the rundown of what we're going to do, and then from there, I go into my little you know and go into my corner with the model in front of me, and I basically it's like a stream of consciousness. I basically start touching the face and every single thing that I'm thinking is coming out of my mouth, right? So, and every single thing that I'm doing, I'm explaining why and how I approach it. And so it's just natural for me. Like I love teaching is like my favorite thing. I, that's what I wanted to be my entire life was a teacher. And so I almost feel like the masterclass, I almost like accidentally uh, found a way to pursue my passion of teaching, you know, through, but well, this, you literally are teaching. Yeah. 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 And so, you know, I, I just feel like I thrive in that, in that area and, and not so much in the digital realm. Like, so the idea of like doing it digitally or online, like freaks me out a little bit, but I'm going to have to do it. Um, but yeah, I like the in-person, the energy for me. I need, I feed off of the energy. And it's unbelievable that you were this shy kid who wanted to be invisible at times. I know. And now you're so visible. Did you... What what did you have to what was the biggest thing that you felt you had to work on to to get to where you wanted to go that didn't come supernaturally? Yeah, I mean I think um you know I'm a I'm such a private um person and so the whole social media thing in the in the earlier years I wasn't um, very active on it because I was shy. I was sort of shy and, and reluctant to go on and, and show my stuff um and to show my personality, to show me. Um, so that was one thing for sure. It took me a while to um, to get comfortable with that and to get used to it. Um, and another thing um, I think is, you know, because of my sort of my, my I, I work with Kim Kardashian a lot and I became so known for that. And so for me, I think, uh, you know, going beyond that, like beyond, you know, sort of Kim and like the pop stars, I think uh, in the world of actresses or, you know, Oscar nominees and, you know, Golden Globe, things like that, I you know, that wasn't always a thing with me. And so I had to sort of consciously, you know, work to sort of, in a way, I guess I like prove myself that, Hey, it's, I don't only do this, you know, super glam makeup. Um, I can also do clean and natural makeup really well. And I enjoy it just as much. Um, and so that was definitely a part, uh, I think in my career that, um, I worked towards, um, you felt like you were kind of pushed into a, a box in a way. Yeah, I think so. You know, I, I definitely, I definitely think so. And and I was okay with that, but I also wanted to show that, um, that's not all that I can do. Right. And so, right. 
um, it took time. It took time because uh, how did you go about showing that? You know, just like, what did you working with my agency at the time, and and they would sort of push me to uh, push me on on different clients and actresses, and you know, they weren't big clients. Like uh, when I say big, I mean in terms of like sort of the girls that I that I that were that the girl type of girls that booked me usually, which had like, like no ten- one's going to be get have as much traction as Kim Kardashian, like. Kim and JLo and Ariana and Demi and all these girls are like, you know, they're the most, you know, the the most highly followed celebrities in in the world on Instagram. And so it's a very different thing. And you you know that it's like, yeah, it's a very different thing. It's like a sort of a different aesthetic, a different vibe. Um, And were you rusty at that other type of glam? No, I mean, the non glam, I, I should say, or was it something that you just always could count on to be able to do? Which part, which one? Like going from doing um, hot, really high profile singers or um, glam like turnout to then doing something, you know, perhaps understated. Was that always just something available to you or did you have to kind of like get back to your. No, I I love it. I I love it just as much. You know what I mean? I think with the whole glam thing, like Quinn, I don't know how to explain it really to this day, but there's a certain type of. It's a certain type of artistry um, with those types of clients that, no, not everyone can do it. Um, what's become the hardest part of your job? Oh, my God. Like like this job with the brand? Anything. Oh, my God, Quinn. Um, I, going into this, like, for years, I, I've, I've spoken to founder friends and, and, and everyone has always said, like, you know, are you sure you want to do this? Like, this is going to be hard. It's not easy. Like, and I would always be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. I understand. I like, I like hard, but this is another level of hard, of, of stress, of responsibility, um, that I never could have imagined. Um, the amount of pressure, the amount of responsibilities, uh, that I have and, and the amount of things that I have to learn every day so quickly, um, you Do you know, mean like financial pressure or like think for things to sell or just everything for everything, everything. Like, so there's so many people involved. There's so many different departments and there's a retailers, there's creative, there's marketing, there's e-com, there's social, um, you know, there's the PD and then there's all the labs and it is nonstop. It is at every, any given day, there's like a hundred different people that I'm having to communicate with and to email. And, and it's like every, I'm one person. So I'm like, you know, I'm the founder CEO and because I'm not like a traditional CEO, right. This is my first time doing this. Like I'm not, I don't have experience as a corporate CEO. So it's like, I was thrust into this and, and I'm trying to hang in there and I'm trying to learn everything that I can and keep it all together. Um, and, and that has been really freaking challenging. I'm, I'm a makeup artist. Um, and although I'm business minded, um, and so it's sort of, you know, I understand it all, but it's, it's very difficult because it's a new world to me. And so I really just rely on, on all the people that work with me. Um, and I, and I, I rely on them to teach me every day and I learn from them and I listen, you know what I mean? Um, because like, if you, you know, if you could imagine just this, the amount of like spreadsheets every day, like there's codes and words and all this like stuff that that's involved in like e-com and, and retail and marketing and all this stuff that, I've never expected to know, like you had, I'd be done at spreadsheets. I'd be be like, I can't do this. I mean, I'm not expected to know, but I, it's not okay for me personally to not know. I have to know. I want to know. That's important. Right. Um, And so I'm that type of person. So it's overwhelming for me. And I've, I've, I've had to learn every day and I, and I'm getting a little bit better, a little bit wiser, a little bit smarter, a little bit more experienced every day that passes. Um, But it has not been easy. Um, You know, also on a more sort of personal, like, 
um, you know, I, I, I did incredibly well um, as a makeup artist um, with, with my brand deals and my clients and my masterclasses. And then now with this brand, you know, I invested everything into this brand and I don't have time anymore to do that stuff. And I'm going to go back to it a little bit, but you know, I sort of gave everything um, going into this, like that I have to give this my all now and I have to focus all my energy on this. Um, and, and so I don't, you know, I, I don't have um, the security that I once had, you know, even though I think people might think, um, and even people like some family members, like they think, oh, I have a brand now. So I'm like, I'm so rich. And it's like, no, no, it's the opposite. Like I'm so poor right now because I don't, I don't give myself, I don't give myself a salary. You know what I mean? Because you're reinvesting all of your Yes. Your energy, so, so, time, and money into this brand. Yes. And that so will probably pay off one day, but right now. I hope, you know, but right now it feels, there's this feeling of like, almost like I'm starting over from the beginning. Um, mm-hmm. You know what I mean? In terms yeah. of like, yeah. So, yeah, so it's, it's good. At the same time, Quinn, I know, like I said, all that stuff, but at the same time, I obviously feel um, so incredibly blessed and fortunate that I literally can cry right now um, because I you know, I know where I, where I came from and I, and I, and I think of where I came from every day and, and I look around me every day and I, and I'm like, how the, how the F did I get here? And how the F did this happen? And I'm just so grateful and thankful um, that, you know, that, that I'm here where I am because, um, you know, I, I, I don't know how, I don't know how to explain it. I'm just, I'm just grateful. It sounds clear to me. And it's also sounds a little, it can be probably a little scary at times. It is. It is a little scary because there's so much more, you know, I guess, quote unquote, there's so much more that to lose. Like I feel responsible now for, you know, all of my team members um, and, and everyone that's involved in, in this company. So there, it's a greater, it's a much greater responsibility um, that, you know, more so than I've ever had in my career. Wow. And some of the team members are family members, right? Um, so no, not, not for the brand. So with the master, okay. the master class, I had family members that worked with me, but you know, with the brand, I had to bring in, you know, uh, I had to bring in industry professionals that, you know, who, from you the, know, from that field, right? Yeah, cor- corporate professionals and, and, you know, executives and, and business professionals. So yeah, the family is not, uh, involved in the actual brand. No. Oh my God. I, I, when I knew, I knew that you worked with your family, I was like, wow, that's the most amazing thing that he's probably ever done because I'm super close to my family, but I could never work with, I could just could never work with my family. I think we would just kill each other. It's really hard. Uh, me and my sister almost have killed, killed each other in the past, but yeah, it's really hard. Um, but you know, I have a little bit of trust issues. I always had, I think as a result of, you know, sort of my childhood and stuff, but you know, at least with family, with like really close family, someone like a sister, you know, you, you don't have sort of those trust issues. Right. Uh, and, and so for me, it worked out perfect. Like with my sister in the masterclass, um, I probably wouldn't have allowed anyone at that time, especially when I was growing the masterclass, I wouldn't have allowed anyone in to even go near it. So, you know, my sister was the perfect choice for that. That's so sweet. I love that. Um, I wanted to ask you in your, um, I mean, I'm sure there's so many, but do you have, I was going to say, who's your favorite muse? I'll still ask that. Or do you, and do you have a favorite moment, makeup moment of your career, like a red carpet or some award show or stage that you look back on? (laughs) I'm so bad at these questions. Oh my God. I, 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 it always comes to me like after the interview. Um, So my favorite muse, um, well, yeah, of course, I'm going to say Kim. 
um, you know, she's just so special to me beyond just being like my, my muse. And, and, you know, she, she's just so incredibly special to me. I mean, I, I always thought from that first day I ever met her when she walked in, um, I just remember thinking like, Oh my God, she's the most beautiful girl in the world. Um, for me, like her face uh, was made for my hands. I couldn't wait to touch her. I couldn't wait to get, get, get my hands on her face. Um, and there's something about the, there's something about the way that she carried my makeup, uh, the way that she worked a red carpet, uh, the way that she moved. Uh, there's a gracefulness and elegance to the way that she moves and the way that she carries her makeup. She's so careful with her with her glam, with her hair and makeup. Um, she's the type of person that respects it so much she would never touch it or mess it up. Or like she's very... She's not going to eat like a hamburger right after you did her lip. Oh my God, no. Yeah. Like, no. So she, Mara, she, you know those type of people who you do and you're like... This is it. It better be bulletproof because you're never going to touch up after you leave the room and you're never, it's just yeah. like anything goes. Yeah. A lot of younger clients are like that where they're just a little more careless and like, right. Uh, I'm not used to that. Cause I got, you know, I got really spoiled with Kim um, just in terms of like how respectful she is towards the, uh, towards the craft and, 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 and towards the look. And does uh, she give you the time that you need? Yeah. You know, she's, she's someone that loves the process. And okay. so, you know, timing was like never really like a big thing. Obviously we've had times where I've had to do it in 10, 20 minutes, but um, so she, I would say, you know, she's definitely, if I had to choose one as my muse, you know, and just also because of obviously what she's done for me in my life, you know, um, mm -hmm. I also look at her, you know, in a way as like a savior to me, um, you know, this super, I don't know if we touched on this uh, during our last call, but you know, she's a super uh, uninhibited, uh, sort of very public figure, and I, when I met her, was extremely inhibited and extremely quiet and extremely shy and private. And so uh, I think it helped me a lot, the, the being, you know, I guess thrust, like when she began to share me with her, with her followers and with her fans, um, it did something for me. It helped me somehow. And um, I, I'm just forever grateful um, for her. And so, yeah, I would say Kim That's for really sure. That's special. Everybody hopes that they can find a client like that who they can work with for throughout the years and have each other's back and also be beautiful on top of it always helps. Yeah. And I love all, you know, I love all my clients, uh, clients. I have to say, Quinn, I've been so lucky. Like I don't have, I hear horror stories from my peers and friends, you, you know, how when you gossip amongst each other, the glam teams and like, you know, we tell stories and everything. I don't have like any bad or dramatic or crazy bad stories. Like I've, I've, I've had really Ooh, good luck. You're lucky. <laughs> you know what I think that what I think it boils down to, I figured out, I think it boils down to not actually the client, but I think it boils down to us and, and sort of the, the approach that we have and the attitude and um, whether we are more submissive or whether we are more um, authoritative, I guess is the word or, or confident. I feel, uh, and I have this discussion a lot with my students, but um, people that are sort of more, I don't know, is submissive the right word, like more sort of passive and submissive. Uh -huh. I think those are the situations or those are the times where um, they might have these instances where, you know, quote unquote, horror stories with celebrity clients. Um, I, but I think if one is sort of like, I don't know, when I approach or if you can hold your own. Yeah. Like when I the way I approach a client doesn't matter who it is, whether it's like a princess or whether it's, you know, a very famous celebrity. Like I'm not a very submissive and passive person. Like I, you know, I grab their face and I start working and like I'm, I'm in charge. I'm the one in charge here. And so I think that something about that calms them. They, they in fact, love that because they feel immediately more safe and secure. Um, 
And whereas when you approach it with a more sort of, let's say like when my assistant or something, someone approaches them to do, uh, let's say lashes or skin, like they go in immediately extremely submissive and passive. Like, are you okay if I do this? Like, excuse me, like, are you fine if I do this? And it's like, that changes everything. It makes people afraid. It makes people afraid. Yeah. And because and they feel like not secure that this person knows what they're doing, maybe. And, and you're so in my that, chair now. Huh? <laughs> I said, you're in my chair now, you know? <laughs> <laughs> there is a there is a touch and I, I know it from even getting your haircut. Like if it's if somebody if somebody goes in like to get the job done, it definitely well, obviously you don't want someone hurting you or being too rough. That's not it. It's just more of like um parents with their children even. Like kids feel more safe when they have boundaries and the and authority. Yeah. And when they have those parents who let their kids do whatever they want, they act out because they don't feel safe. Exactly. And that's not a reach. You know, we're basically the parents of the world, makeup artists. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, Why did you decide we're jumping back to why now to do the the line? Why now? Um, For me, I wanted to always do it like my dream since when I started at Savor when I was 17. I don't know if I uh, I told you this already, but like at that time when I decided I wanted to do makeup, I had a natural – um, this natural attraction to all of the makeup artist brands like NARS, Vincent Longo, Stila, who, who was by Jeannie Lobel uh, at the time, uh, Lorac by Carol Shaw. Um, there were so many. It was the golden age, in my opinion, of, um, yeah. of brands because Laura Mercier, there were just yes. so many brands that were so good. So I like, I had this immediate, like, I was immediately drawn to and I was super attracted to those brands because to me, they represented like, it was more of a personal thing. Like I thought that, okay, if I do this one day in the future, like my mom might be proud of me and she might think that this is actually something serious and worthy. Um, and so I latched onto that at 17 years old. And I knew though, uh, going in because I, you know, I used to think about these things and be realistic about these things. Like all of those people that I just mentioned, those artists at that time, they were well into their thirties or forties. And, and so I knew that I had to I knew I had to put in at least like 20 years of work. Mm. And so I set my mind and I manifested and I kind of set that goal uh, that I'm going to do this on my 20th year as a makeup artist. And, and when the 17th year, uh, you know, approached, that is when I started to slowly uh, learn everything and put together um, all the little pieces. And it happened on the freaking 20th year. Exactly. Wow. Yeah, so and also wow that it takes three years to get, which I'm sure is is fast, but it takes that long to get a line off the ground. No, it it could take much quicker than that. But the the issue is that I I didn't want to do it with you know, with these large investors or or as a licensing deal because I had opportunities to do that. I wanted to do it myself, and so I had to start learning because I have trust issues again. And so I had to start like meeting people. So I would go into the, one of the first people I remember I talked to was Troy Surratt and we went, we had dinner in Chelsea. Um, and he, he gave me some contacts to labs. And so, you know, I went and I started call calling, cold calling the labs and started to going in to meet them, to ask them questions, to see their vibe. Do I trust them? What are they telling me? And, and so that's how I started. And that process took me a long time. And then trying to find the person uh, that I trusted, the executive uh, that I trusted to to help me to actually then start executing and putting this all into place. And because and, and, that's a that's a whole monster, um, Quinn, 
uh, how that all works and how like the amount of, of stuff that's you know that's involved on this business end of things. And so that took me a really long time. I kept meeting people and then trying to potentially go you know go in with them to have them you know be that person. Um, and then I found eventually I found finally um, Alicia, um, who's now my my global president, and she's the one that um, that you vibed with. She's the one that I really vibed with, that I trusted, and who I felt really truly believed in me. Um, and you know, and and so she came on board then, and and we we sort of started just boom boom boom, um, making it happen. That's so good. My goal in life is to hire someone to make it to a point where I can hire someone to do everything I'm not good at from like writing an email to opening my mail, you know, and then if they were like a handyman as well, like someone who could like mount a television or hang up a picture. Cause I'm so uneven in my um, abilities, you know, it's like rain man. Like I can do certain things really well and other things I absolutely am, cannot do. But that's really that's really good that you know that. So as long as you know what you're good at, what you're good at, what you're not good at, that's really important. Um, and you know, because if you're trying to be good at stuff that you just don't know, um, no, that's not good. So the, you know, it's great that you know that and that you're aware of that. Um, yeah. I hate to say it, you know, sometimes you're, the planets align and sometimes they don't. Mario, we're just you know, oh, tech, you know we technologically wise, we're just not a match. You know, we just had that big uh, conjunction, right? With super, with uh, Saturn and Jupiter. That a lot. Oh yeah, yeah. Like yesterday or the day before. Yeah, I think the day before. Um. <clears throat> My astrologer, uh, a girlfriend of mine who's an astrologer, was hoping that um, Jupiter was going to be a lot better than than what we were going through in Saturn. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna go with that. Yeah. Did you manifest? You had to manifest that night. All Wait, you you keep saying manifest. What? Explain to me. What does that mean, really? Oh my God, really? Are you being serious? Yeah. Stop. Okay. Um, I mean, I, I have a, a like a um, manifest, like generic manifest for dummies kind of thing, but I actually don't know that much about it. So manifest is, is, is essentially like, it's almost like dreaming, but, but the way that I do it is, so you know how you think of something or you dream of something or you envision something? Manifesting it to me is like really, truly envisioning yourself believing it fully a hundred hundred percent believing it feeling it knowing it on a sense that it's going to happen and so you're putting it out there that energy that strong energy and desire of, of you manifesting it you're putting it out there into the universe and for me in particular i i'll do it even if i'm just laying in bed but i also do it like when there's a full moon out um i'll do it like while i'm looking up at the moon um and then i also do it into my crystals i have um I have these crystals like in my office, for example, that um, really like absorb energy. And so I manifest into the crystals and I keep them by the window. And and I, I just 100% believe in it. I really believe that um, whatever you manifest, if you really truly believe it. Uh, right, but what if it's something you want, but you don't believe it yet? You know, how you, do you, you manifest? If you don't believe it, then you can't, then you're not manifesting it. Then it's not going to come true. You know what I mean? Like, that's what I'm saying. You have to, sometimes you could, sometimes you can dream of something and think of something, but in the back of your mind, you don't believe that you're actually going to do it or be it. Uh, and, yeah. Like everything. <laughs> well, well, and so, but that, that's what I mean. So that's not, that's, that's an example of like, of manifesting, but not, it's not going to come to fruition. So when you manifest it, like you truly believe it, like you, you, you're blocking. But yourself. how do you feel like you're not lying to yourself? Because it's not, you're not manifesting something in the current situation. It's for the future, right? And so like okay. when I manifest, like 
I, I, I tried to just like close my eyes and, and truly envision myself. I envision myself and it's a process. Like it's a constant thing. Like you constantly envision that thing. Um, you know, let's say if I man like when I was 17, I manifested having a makeup line. I didn't stop thinking about that, uh, you know, for 20 years. I, I constantly envisioned it. I constantly wrote things down about it, like the name of the brand and then what, you know, what the products and like, so it was a constant envisioning of it and manifesting of it. And and then, it, you know, came to fruition 20 years later, exactly when I wanted it. It's almost like you, you're unconsciously start planning for it because you really believe it's going to happen. Um, but if you don't really believe it's going to happen, then it doesn't, you know, it doesn't work. Uh-huh. Well, who taught you, who taught you how to do that? I don't know. I just, I, I, it's just, it's just in my nature like that. That's just how I, I, I dreamt like that always. Like I, you know, and then in my later years, um, not later years, but like, you know, I want to say like in my thirties, when I started to get into astrology and the universe more um, and like crystals and things like that, that's when I really like started to, you know, consciously to consciously manifest and envision and dream. And it's so crazy Quinn, because like, it really is. It really is true. Like it really comes true. A lot of it, if you keep envisioning something like it happens, um, but you have I'm to gonna try it. You have to believe it. Um, like you really have to believe it. And, and then I feel like it, it's come, it comes true and it happens. But have you always had faith? Um, in what? And, you know, faith, like the base level faith. Um, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Do you mean faith like in terms of like you're not are you talking about just general faith or like religion faith? Whatever that means to you. Like people who ha- who are religious have faith, right? Yeah. But, you know, if you're not religious, some other people, like my friend Kira who's an astrologer has just always had faith. I've I can say that I I don't know. Like I don't feel like I that's something that I just always have that you know, everything's like faith in something. I do. I think I do. Like I was talking about this last night to my therapist, actually. Um, It's weird. Like I, no matter what I go through, no matter, you know, no matter what obstacles um, come my way, um, I sort of, or no matter like how much struggle or sacrifice I have to do or in order to to achieve something or that I'm experiencing at any given time, like I always, I guess faith is the right word. Yeah. I always have faith. There's this little feeling of like, no matter what it is, I know that I'm going to get through it. Like I have faith that I'm going to get through it. And I even in your darkest moment. Oh yeah. I've had some dark moments, Quinn. Um, like really, really dark moments. Um, yeah. Um, there's this little bit of me that, that always knows that I'll come through, you know? Oh yeah. I mean, I gotta, I gotta say that of everything about you that I've been listening to, that's what I'm the most envious of, you know? Really? Yeah. Because I, I don't, I struggle with faith. Like what I was saying earlier, sometimes it feels like I'm lying to myself or it doesn't feel authentic. There are times when I do have faith that I'm just going through the day and, you know, I'll catch myself going, oh, well, that's something I believe in. But I can't categorically say that I'm just somebody who always has faith. I have a lot of, and not self-doubt. I do have self-doubt, but a lot of doubt as well as faith. Wow. So do you remember like when we were just talking about the manifestation thing? Yeah. So one can also do the opposite of that and, and they can also manifest negative things. Um, so yeah, like be careful of that because if you're, if you're the type of the person Quinn that you are 
you know, if you think uh, negative things are constantly, you know how sometimes when you're in fear, you live in fear about certain things and you just go to the most negative situation in your head possible? Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> when you do that, and if you continuously do that, you manifest that to actually happen. So you got to catch yourself. As long as you're aware of it, you're good because then you catch yourself and you stop yourself. And so it doesn't come true. You know what I mean? I think, yeah, for sure. They're le- it's learned behavior. Like growing up, not doing well in school, I always felt not good enough. And that feeling I've dealt with that I've talked about it in therapy and whatever. It's a, it's just something that I can't shake. I'll always feel like, I love how the podcast has become about me now, but um, there's always going to be a part of me that's going, I've got, I'm not, it's not good enough. I'm not good enough. I have to do better. And sometimes that makes you do better and get farther, but it comes at a price yeah. of not feeling so good about yourself. But I think that part, I mean, we all, we all like, have have those moments of not feeling good about ourselves and also i mean we're we're makeup artists too so like of course we're perfectionists and we're not like we're always going to have that part and we're always going to feel that um that we're not good enough i always feel that as well you know yeah i asked this um master astrologer once like am i ever going to feel like it's enough and he said no just like matter of fact like that's just who you are and now i made it better for me because i know that i'm just never going to be like okay I did that. Now that's enough. Like I, I think that it'll help me later on without giving up or just being complacent. Yeah. It helps you now and later on, because then if you're just content with everything and perfectly fine with everything, then what do you have to work towards? You know, it's like, for me, I use that as like a fuel, you know, to some of that energy is why I'm doing a goddamn podcast, you know? (laughs) Well, I know. Well, here you go. So this is like a pretty incredible thing. Like it's so out of your, you know, your, your like zone of like what you know and what you're used to, but you took that step and, and, and to do something really different and cool and interesting. And, and that's something you should be proud of, you know? Thanks. You probably manifested it and, be- and believed it. I probably did. I'm going to manifest <laughs> a lot of things when we hang out. You were like, probably like, I would be so freaking good at this. No, my, they're all going to be like really shallow and superficial. I'll text them to you. It's not appropriate. Apple won't have it on uh, the podcast. Um, do you, this is like a dumb corny question, but I kind of just want to ask you because do you believe in the American dream? Oh yeah. A hundred percent. I come, I have immigrant parents. Yeah. I mean, my goal was always to, you know, to be the American dream for my parents, um, you know, for their sacrifices and, and stuff. Um, yeah, I, I, I do believe in the American dream. I don't know what the exact definition of that is. I think it's just different for everyone. But um, I certainly um, I certainly always had a desire to, you know, I probably didn't name it the American dream, but I certainly had a desire um, to do that um, for my yeah. parents. Yeah, you know. Um, and this is a question I'm asking everyone. If you were able to step into a magic time machine and go back in time where would you meet yourself and what would you say to yourself? Ooh, well, can it be before I was born or it has to be only within my life? Um, I think I, 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 you can answer it either way, but I was thinking in your life, but if you want to do before you're born, go for it. I'll do both. Okay. So before, so I've always wanted to, um, I have this insatiable like curiosity and desire to like have lived in, the 1970s and 80s New York, like to be in my, like in my 20s and 30s in that mm-hmm. in 70s and 80s, like there's something so just delicious to me about that era. Um, I'm obsessed with like 
just watching YouTube videos and things on everything from that era. The gritty, um, dirty New York. Yes, yes, yeah. yes, yes. Like, uh, I just wish like I could have been in my prime and in, uh, in, during that time in New York to experience it. Um, and then, you know, in terms of for my life, um, uh, if I say, say the question one more time to me. If you could go back in time in a magic time machine and where would you meet yourself? And if you could tap yourself on the shoulder, what, what would you, what advice, what would you say to yourself? Um, there's so many different times I would go, but I, I think maybe, maybe I would go to my childhood. Um, specifically when I was, you know, sort of struggling with, um, with, 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 you know, with expressing who I am and with, with, you know, dealing with who I am or, um, my sexuality and all that, like I would sort of just, uh, I guess to tell myself if I, if I, if I knew that it would actually work and if I knew that it would actually come true is just that like to stop fearing and stop worrying, um, and that it's going to be okay. Right. Because, um, mm. I thought in those years, like that I wouldn't uh, be able to get through, you know what I mean? That it wouldn't be okay. Um, and that I would have to live the rest of my life, um, hiding, um, or, you know, married to a woman and break, you know, and ruin her life. And like all these types of crazy things that I would think as a child. And I would tell myself that it's going to be okay, that you are going to be free one day and you're not going to have to, to, to live like this. That's what I would do. I like that a lot. I can relate a lot. I like that. Um, and so on a lighter note, I wanted to play a game with you. You pick, I'm going to tell you some two things and you're going to pick one of the two. Okay. Okay. So strip lashes or individual lashes? If I had to choose only one. Mm-hmm. Individuals. Contour or blush? Ooh. Oh, you can't choose one. Um, damn it. It depends for who, Quinn. Um, okay. I would say, oh, damn it. Um, oh, well, good. I already stumped you on the second question. Could I, could I choose a contour shade that like could work as a blush? Um, yeah, you can choose any of these. You can really say whatever you want. Yeah, I, I guess I'll, I'll say I can always I can always figure out blush another way. Um, I'd say if I had to choose only one, maybe contour. Well, what's the contour blush shade? Well, I would, I would choose like sort of more of a, uh, depends on the skin tone, but I would choose something almost like a bronzer, right. That I could use, uh, to also like, you know, uh, right. Also use on the eyes or to, you know, to, to warm up the face or things like that. I would get like more a warmer color. contour, but not orangey. I don't like, but not color. orangey. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, cream or powder for what product? Listen, I'm just asking the questions, okay? You have to come up with your answer. Listen, Quinn, if I have cream, I need to set it with some powder. Um, okay. Uh, so I say uh, there's equally both. But no, I think I'd be able to do more with cream for sure, more versatile. Okay. Uptown or downtown? Uptown all the way. Oh, my God. All right. Bravo or VH1? Oh, my God. Bravo. Really? Are you a housewives? Oh, I, I was for many years. I haven't watched TV in a while. But yes, I Bravo was my jam. I thought you would be like a mob wives, basketball wives, love and hip hop guy. I was that too, but Bravo was like my main channel. Okay, got it. Um, if you had to be oily, greasy, or dry and flaky, which would you choose? Oof, honestly, it's probably gross, but I'd, I'd rather be dry and flaky. I don't like feeling greasy textures on my personal, like on myself. I, I just don't like huh. that feeling. Yeah. Olive Garden or Dallas Barbecue? <laughs> 
Um, I don't know if I, oh, if I, yes, I've eaten them both. Um, I would say, I can't remember what Olive Garden was like, but I, I do know I love me some Dallas BBQ. Um, yeah. I, could, I could remember it. Yeah. And those drinks and the like 40 ounce punch bowl. Big margaritas. I've had some fun times at Dallas BBQ. Yeah. Oh my God. Um, or order in or dine out. Oh, like for the rest of my life, if I had to choose one. Or just which do you prefer? Yeah. So it depends on my mood, but if I had to choose one, I would say order in. I'm, I'm a homebody. Okay. Gym day or spa day? You know what? I would say, I would say gym day. I, okay. I, get, I get impatient at the spa sometimes. Oh, wow. Um, Instagram or TikTok? Oh, Instagram for sure. Oh, yes. I love that. I feel like everybody's turned their back on Instagram and they're all on TikTok now. I don't know how to use TikTok yet. Oh, thank God I'm not the only one. Um, and the final question, Keisha Cole or Ashanti? Keisha Cole. All right. She's from Oakland. Thank you for that one. Oakland in the house. Hey. Um, <laughs> Mario, thank you so much for um, taking the time. I know how I know how busy you are. And um, I think that people, even people who know you, are probably going to find out something about you that they didn't know. You've been so open and honest. And We've been meaning to do it. And once the vaccine comes out, we really have to have a night out uh, yes. downtown in New York. <laughs> For sure. Thank you so much, Quinn. Um, this has been really fun and really a pleasure. And uh, and I'm so proud of you. Like, this is such a cool, like, I would be so scared to do this. Like, I'm so proud of you that you had the courage to do this and make it happen. It's really cool. Thank you. Yeah. All right. Bye. Bye.